Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
Shout your praise, our hearts. 
If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew 18, Matthew 18, verse 21. Matthew 18, verse 21. We're going to continue our talk about marriage. I made it out alive last week. I was kind of worried about that with the message about wives submitting to your husbands and husbands loving your wives. I got some interesting comments from people. Uh, One couple told me who's been married a long time, they said uh, that I was dead on. And they proceeded to tell me how they lived it out. You know, the wife submitting, husband's loving wife's part, how that works in conjunction. And the husband said, you know, when we were first married, we, we committed ourselves to this. We agreed I would make all the major decisions and my wife would make all the minor decisions. And the wife added, yeah, in our 40 years of marriage, we never had to make a major decision. <laughs> Last week we said marriage takes work, right? It's hard. It can be hard, but it's beautiful too, right? Because it's hard, it takes a constant cultivation with it, constant work, constant effort. And if you don't, you may find yourself in a place where you feel trapped in that marriage, looking for a way out. And God doesn't want that, right? And I told you, God hates divorce, and, and, and I told you, I am divorced, right? And so I, I know when, when I say those words, some people will think God hates you because you're divorced. That's, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I don't feel that from God. I, I know that the pain that comes from divorce from all parties, right? And I know God hates seeing his children go through that pain. So that's why he hates divorce, right? We want to help you. We, we want to be there for you if you are divorced, if you're not divorced, if you're in a marriage and it's going great. We want to help you and serve you and help that even get better. And if, if your marriage is not going so great, we want this to be a safe place for you to know that it's okay, that these things happen. But God can fix them. God can change them. God can bring healing in those areas. If, if you'll submit yourself to him. So that's what I want to encourage you to do. That's what I want to challenge you to do, right? I I want you to know that struggle is not uncommon, but I also want you to know that things can change. I want you to know that God can bring, uh, take brokenness and make beautiful, right? That's what we see time and time again. Brokenness, people that are broken made whole. That's what I've experienced in my life. And that's what I want us all to experience. Remember my challenge. I asked you, if you do this one thing, you'll take the divorce rate from 50% down to 1%. If you do this one thing, and that one thing is if you'll pray with your spouse on a daily basis, you take it down from 50% to 1%. Just that one thing, including God in your life, submitting yourself to God in every way, right? Awkward, yes. Hard, yes. But shouldn't you be able to be awkward with your spouse? You can't be awkward with your spouse, right? Who can you be? I want to challenge you with that. If you didn't take me up on it, will you you seriously consider doing that? It will change you. It will change everything. We're, we're praying, and we're, we've had times of prayer, but we've made this a deliberate time this last week. I think we hit five times. We had some football games that got in the way and stuff like that. But, um, man, what a beautiful time. And remember, I challenge you, pray for yourself, right? Don't pray for your spouse changing. You know, don't pray for 
hope to get our life straightened out, right? We, we pray for ourselves and what we need to change, and we need to be thinking about that so that we can submit that to God's authority, to God's will. Well, hope you will, will think about that. Today, like I said, we want to continue in and see marriage. Marriage is something that points to the gospel and something that only can thrive through the gospel. Another tough message, I think, um, Matthew 18, verse 21, would you stand in honor of God's word? Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that we would order our lives around it, especially when we don't want to. Lord, I pray that we would submit to your will, Lord, and that we would see ways that we're not living this out, Lord. And I pray we would strive to surrender our lives to you and that you would change us and enable us to live in this fashion. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In this passage, Peter comes to Jesus. He's got a question, right? It's a loaded question. I wonder if he has someone in mind when he asks it, right? He says to Jesus, how many times, just hypothetically speaking, how many times should I forgive the person who's hurt me? Should I do it as much as seven times, right? Now, Peter thinks he's being really generous here, like he's being a really goody two-shoes with this, right? Because the, the Jews in this time, they taught that you should forgive somebody up to seven times for the same offense. Seven times, three strikes, and you're out. And so Peter is showing off here, and he says, should we do it seven times? I think he's hoping that Jesus is going to say, wow, Peter, seven? That's incredible. You're going above and beyond. You, you remind me of me, right? But that's not what Jesus says. No, not seven. How about 77? Or how about 70 times seven? 
This would have been an incredible number to those people who have heard it. And, and the point that Jesus is making is that grace never stops, right? Grace never stops giving. When they heard this, they would have been shocked comparing it to the three times that they were taught. And that's why Jesus gives them this parable, to help them understand it, to, to give them a picture of what it would look like. He, Jesus wants them. Jesus wants us to be free of bitterness today, to be free of resentment, to be free of that weight that comes from unforgiveness, that weight that comes from this, this pain. More importantly, he wants us to be free of it, but more importantly, he says, hey, if we will not forgive, we won't be forgiven. That's what the word of God teaches us, right? So this is serious. Verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began that settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And when Jesus was telling this and would have mentioned 10,000 bags of gold, people probably would have either gasped or laughed because of this crazy astronomical amount. Today, it's like hundreds of millions of dollars. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. My friends, we need to realize this mirrors our standing with God, right? The fact that all of us have an enormous debt that there is no hope of us paying outside of Jesus Christ. We have an outstanding balance that we can't pay because of sin, because of the things we've done. I, I believe we all understand this. I believe we all know this in our heart, Christians, non-Christians. We feel it, but we process it in different ways. Those who don't know Christ, and even some who do know Christ, right? We, we like to do something. We like to, we talked about this in Sunday school, compare our debt to our neighbor's debt, right? Yes, I might owe $200 million, but look at Andrew. He owes $400 million, and I am such a much better person than that person, right? We, we feel good about when we see other people and, and we, we put them down while raising ourselves, right? I'm such a good person compared to him, but the fact is I owe $200 million, a debt that I can't pay back, right? Verse 26, at this, a servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. No, he won't. He can't possibly pay this back, right? There's no chance he could even afford the interest on this. Verse 27, though, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Remember the first time you read this story or the first time that you heard the story? Wasn't it a matter of wow? Like he canceled the debt? If I'm the master and somebody owed me a great deal of money, yeah, I might not put them in jail. I might not sell them. But I certainly wouldn't wipe it out. Maybe I'd change the interest rate. Maybe I'd let them go interest-free till they could pay it back. Maybe I'd change the terms, give them some more time to pay me back. But wipe it out? That's an incredible act. 
Verse 28, but when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. A hundred silver coins, less than a hundred bucks. The guy who had hundreds of millions of dollars forgiven, right? Can't see to let this person go. It's kind of like driving to church with your spouse and you're having one of those mornings where maybe you're fighting with them. Maybe you got something going on. You're mad at them. Maybe you're just not talking to them. But then you come in here and you start worshiping God, right? You start singing his praises. You start thanking God for his grace. And then as soon as you go out of here, you get back into that car and you go back into that mode where you resent your spouse. You're mad at them. You're not going to talk to them. Whatever that may be, you're just going to continue on with the bitterness. First time I heard this story, I was like, I saw this guy get this enormous debt forgiven, and I heard about what had happened to him, right? And then I hear that, oh, he's just owed a small amount. And I think in my head, right, I know how the story's going to go. Oh, th- this guy, he's going to forgive this person that owes him this small amount. After all, he, did you notice he's a fellow servant, right? They have that in common. He, he knows what it's like to be in this person's shoes because he was just in this person's shoes in a much bigger amount, but shockingly, he doesn't. Do you remember the first time you heard that? And you're like, how can this guy not do that? How can this guy throw him into prison? It just seems incredible that this guy who was owed, who owed millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, couldn't let a hundred bucks go. And it just gets you thinking, how could he not, right? And we know that's the purpose of the parable. That's the purpose of the story. Verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed, which would never happen. And so this guy, for the rest of his existence in this parable, is going to live with this overwhelming regret that he didn't extend grace, that same grace that he was given. He wanted to receive it, but he didn't want to give it. We all love grace, when we're on the receiving end, right? But it's different when you're on the giving end. It's more challenging. It's messy. It hurts. Oftentimes, Jesus would tell a parable like this, and then he would just leave it wide open and kind of vague, leaving it up to people to kind of apply to their lives. But not so in this situation, right? Here's what we read at the end of this, verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Can we add spouse to that? Can I read it that way? 
This is how it will be. This is, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your spouse from your heart. Some of you think, well, wait a second, right? Are you telling me that I, if I don't forgive this person who's hurt me, this person who's done these bad things to me, that's betrayed me, that's cheated on me, the one who's, who's ridiculed me, if I, if I won't forgive that person, are you telling me that this is what awaits me? No, I'm not telling you that. Let me, let me make it clear. I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that, right? Not Pastor James. This is the King of Kings. This is the Lord of Lords. This is the one who went to the cross for you. And while he was being beaten and crucified, he prayed to the Father, Father, forgive them. I'm not saying that. Jesus is. Can we put the weight of Jesus behind this? Can we understand this as God's word and God's call when it comes to forgiving people, right? Let's understand, too, this isn't the only time he said it. You you might probably say, oh, this is just brothers and sisters, but Matthew 6, 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, praise God, right? But... If you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Ouch is right. My friends, it's, it's not okay to come and accept God's grace and then not show grace to other people. It's not. I'm not saying it's easy, right? I would not claim that. I'm not saying you don't have to fight for it. I'm not saying you don't have to work for it. I'm not saying it's not going to take time, right? I'm just saying that you can't decide, no, I'm not going to do it. That puts you in a dangerous place outside of God's will. You cannot be a follower of Christ if that's the declaration that you've made. And that's the end of the story. If you're fighting with it, if you're struggling with it, carry on, right? But don't get to the place where I'm never going to do that. If you receive it, you're called to give it. I know from my own experience, it's a journey, right? It's not just hit the easy button. Oh, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. Jesus forgave me, and I can just forgive this person. And and you're like, everything's good to go. I know it can be really hard. and, and, And I just know the journey part of it, right? That it didn't come day one. It didn't come year one, right? But I know I was moving in that direction. And that's what we have to do. That's what we're, we're called to do. Not to stop. Not to abide in bitterness and resentment and hold on to it. We're called to lay it down little by little. Lay it down at his feet, right? We're called to look at the cross and remember what was done for us and to move towards the cross, right? And away from unforgiveness. It's what we received. It's what we're called to give. Colossians 3.13, forgive as the Lord forgave you. If you have been forgiven, you are called to forgive. And there is nothing but pain 
and bitterness and resentment and bondage if you won't move in that direction. Today, I specifically want to ask you, can we apply this to our marriages, right? There might be some heavy things going on. Can we, can we not just apply this to our marriages, can we also apply this to our relationships, right? Can we apply grace to them? There's a guy named Dr. John Gottman, a marriage relation expert, and he has heard solved thousands of couples. And he, and he kind of labels marriages in two different categories. You can't just label marriages in two different categories, but this is how he does it. He labels them as either masters or disasters. And he says, disasters have four things in common. And I want to just give you those four things, and I want you to go to yourself, not to your spouse, right? Because that'd be the easiest thing. And see, we're there living this out. Would you go to you and see, does this describe me? Four, four areas that lead to disaster. The first one is criticism. Criticism is a way of looking at your spouse right through a lens. It's something that you put on, a lens of finding fault, right? So you're constantly pointing out their flaws and their shortcomings and their failures. Do you criticize your spouse? Do you criticize that other person in your life? Number two, defensiveness. When your spouse tries to talk to you about something, walls go up, right? Even if they do it in the right way, your spouse may come to you in a wrong way, right? But even if they come in a right way, walls go up, defensiveness comes out, you start hitting back, right? Well, you're talking about me, let me point out all the areas where you're, you're wrong. You just pull back and fire. Number three, stonewalling. This is where your spouse withdraws, or this is where you emotionally check out, right? You're done. You're done. You're convinced that there's no help. So why bother trying, right? I'm just going to give up. I'm convinced nothing is going to make a difference. So let's just be partners. Let's just be business partners. Let's just be roommates, right? Number four, and this is the worst one. This is the biggest one. This is the one that they say, really, if you're struggling with this one, this is right before divorce. This is contempt. Contempt is, looks like when you speak to your spouse harshly. You have a hard tone. This is when you're easily triggered. This is when you regularly use sarcasm or criticism and it gets really personal. It's really condescending. It's the eye rolling. It's constantly reminding somebody of how they messed up and constantly bringing it back up, right? This is where you feel disgust towards that person. You look back on your years together and all you seem to remember are the bad times, the hurt, the pain, the offenses, right? If this is you, can you think back to the last time you gave your spouse a heartfelt apology? Or is your spouse always the one who's doing something wrong? Are you perfect? Right? When's the last time you gave your spouse a heartfelt apology? This is when your spouse doesn't feel like they can express their concern with you. 
or their needs or their hurts because they know that just doing so will just invite a whole whirlwind of, of not so good stuff. Maybe just look at your spouse and feel bitter. I don't know. These are the four areas that lead to disaster in marriages. And I, I would just argue that with each of these, with each of these areas, the, the underlying thing here that we can all, I think, see is just a lack of grace, right? Just a lack of grace behind each and every one of them. Matthew 18 is a beautiful parable aimed at combating that, and it helps us look at everything through the lens of God's grace. And if we do, things can change. It's not over, right? We we can change how we see our spouse. Let me focus in on that. We can change how we see our spouse. Not necessarily, this is how my spouse is going to change. Hopefully that comes. Hopefully they hear this message of grace. They receive it. But we need to change, right? Do you remember when there was that allergy commercial where half the screen was really fuzzy and half the screen was really clear, right? The idea was with, with Claritin, I think that was, this is how your life is now, blurry, fuzzy, but this is how your life could be, clear, colorful, right? I, th- I think that's the difference of grace in our lives. Your, your life can be filled with bitterness and resentment and grudges and holding on to things. Or your life can be clear and colorful. Not, not, not filled with pain. You're still going to have those times, right? But you're going to be able to get through those times. And get peace through those times, right? This, this lens of grace should affect every relationship, not just with your spouse. But if it doesn't, I'm just here to tell you, man, you're going to struggle. It is going to be a weight. I, I see people who... F- refuse to forgive and their life is so broken it's so painful it's so weighted down right because they will not let go of this weight they will not lay it at christ's feet and that weight will drag you to hell or keep you in hell while you're here Be careful, my friends. You do not want to hang out to this weight because this weight will prevent you from being in the will of God and following him, right? You need to surrender it. So as a pastor, man, I'm calling you to this journey. I'm calling you to this. That's what faith is. It's a journey, right? Where you start right here, you start in brokenness and ugliness and selfishness, right? And you keep following Christ whatever direction he's leading, and those weights start to come off. And you start to get freer and freer. Man, that's what you're called to. Don't hang on to those weights because you won't be able to follow him carrying all that, right? Besides awkward prayer time with your spouse, can I call you to that today? I want to give you four things, practical things that you can do that I think will help you in this journey, right? Number one, commit to overlook the small things. In marriages, there are a lot of small things. Eddie would say probably the way I chew my food, right? Like a horse. Overlook the small things. Those small things have a tendency to become big things, right? 
Proverbs 19.11, it says, a, person, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Overlooking an offense is this idea of not noticing it, right? It's not forgiving it. It's, you don't even have to forgive it because you don't even notice it, right? Overlook some things that aren't that big, right? I think my mom had this mirror. I think it was her. The mirror was on steroids, right? I don't know if you guys have one of these mirrors. It was like this big, and it had two sides, like normal mirror side, and then you would flip it, and it was like mm, steroid mirror that was zoomed in, right? And so you could really see everything. And then that wasn't bad enough. Then it had 20 lights around it, right? That was like, boom. You, you would open that. I made a mistake as a teenager looking at that mirror. Why? Ladies, why? Why do you have such things, right? I think sometimes that's us with our spouse or the people around us, right? Zoomed in, hypercritical, looking for every little thing. I like the fat mirrors. That when you go to the go to like the places where you buy jeans and they actually they have mirrors that slim you and make you look better, right? Those are those are my mirrors that I want. I don't know if this is right, but I kind of think I hope we have that in our relationship, right? Fat mirrors. Don't be that mirror, right? Don't be looking at every little offense. Why? Because God's grace. God's grace has been shown to me, right? Number two, I will remember the good things. One of the most reliable ways to see if you're generous with grace is how you, relent, how you um, talk about the history of your relationship. If you're just talking about the bad things and you don't remember the good things, you know, if you don't have a positive view on your relationship and the history of it, right, uh, that's not a good sign. That does not mean that there are not hard things, right? There are not negative things. It means, though, you don't focus in on them. You choose to remember the good things, right? Grace allows us to refine, reframe what we see. This is how God loves us, right? The Bible says that he forgets these things. They're as far as the east is from the west. That he sees us without blemish, without defect. Why? Because we're in Christ, He doesn't look at you and harp on all your past mistakes and failures, right? He's willing to look past that. He chooses to look past that. 1 Corinthians 13.5 tells us, love keeps no record of wrong. Does that describe your relationship? Does that describe your marriage? Love keeps no record of wrong. Are you constantly going to be bringing things back up? right? For some of us, we're at a point where we need to move forward. We can't stay with where, where we're at. Grace can be the thing that allows you to do that. It does not mean all the hurt goes away. It does not mean all the pain just immediately gets taken away. It doesn't mean that further healing needs to take place. That is. But it's a journey. It's a step in the right direction if you follow it. And when you understand how God sees us, right, maybe we can see our spouses in the same light. 
through the same lens. Number three, I will focus in on my things. This is what I was talking about in prayer, Matthew 3, 7 through, Matthew 7, 3 through 5. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a, a board, a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. What, what if, what if both spouses focused in on what they themselves needed to grow in and change on? Instead of what we typically do, what does my spouse need to do and how does my spouse need to change? What if we all took the, the boards out of our own eyes before we looked to help our spouse take the, the specks out of theirs? We all have some boards, don't we? We all have some boards that God needs to deal with. This word of God, if you are in it and you will read it, it will point those things out to you. <laughs> does me, right? And then you can work on him. And, and then you'll be so abiding in Christ that his spirit will be in you and he'll be changing you, right? Focus in on that. That's why I said with your prayer time, focus in on yourself. I, I'm going to pray for what I need to change. And, and Abby's been praying for what she needs to change. Lord, soften my heart because I feel bitterness towards this person. Maybe you've got an issue with somebody else, right? Maybe that's a part of your prayer. Lord, take this resentment away from me that I have towards this person. Help me to see them through your lens, through, through the way that you see me or the way that you see them, right? Help me, Lord, because I'm really struggling in this area. Help me not to be so critical of them. Help me to instead be encouraging with them. If your spouse is a follower of Christ, Jesus has forgiven them, right? Jesus has forgiven them and sees them through this lens of grace. Can't we do the same? We share the grace that's been given you with your spouse. Can I, can I change the direction a little bit too? Can, can you experience grace yourself a little bit? Sometimes I think we're not the best with that. It's easy to point out where we're wrong, where we're failing, and, and just see ourselves through that lens instead of how he sees us. There, when, when he shows us something wrong, that's a beautiful thing. Correction, discipline, that's a beautiful thing. But when you repent, will you accept that grace that's given to you? And will you not remember those things that you did before? You can remember where you came from and give God praise for that, but would you lay that shame down and say, I'm done with that? Man, I, I'm living out of God's grace. Can you accept that yourself? Don't be so hard on yourself, right? Number four, I will forgive the big things. Matthew 18, 27, man, the, the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt. Canceled the debt and let him go. Canceled as in permanently deleted it, wiped it off the ledgers, right? Completely erased it, no trace that it had ever existed. This is God's grace for you. Anytime I have a conversation with somebody about what forgiveness looks like, we quickly want to place limits and boundaries on it. I get that. I totally get that. 
we always want to ask a lot of questions. Well, should it look like this, or should it mean this, or um, what should it entail? Like, yes, I should forgive, but no, I shouldn't enable people, right? Yeah, right, that's, that's true. Um, there's a reason, though, that God gives us a story and doesn't answer every little question about what that looks like. Instead, he gives us a picture of what it looks like. And so right now, if you're sitting here and you're asking yourself, well, does that mean this? Does that mean I need to do this? Will you look at the picture of Jesus Christ? Does that mean I need to really forget something? Did God do that to you? Is that what his word says? Is that how he treats me? Compare yourself to that. Look to the person of Jesus Christ right? And answer your question that way. The Bible doesn't spell it all out. He gives you a picture. The Word became flesh, right? And lived amongst us. It's far better than trying to answer every question. Does forgiving somebody mean dot, dot, dot? Well, what did it look like with Jesus and me? Just ask yourself that. I, I bring this sermon and this message, and I don't do it lightly, because I know some horrible things have been done to some people in here. And I pray you find peace and freedom from those things, right? I don't minimize those things. I don't, like I said, I'm not saying it's easy. I, I'm not saying, you know, I, I know what it's like to, to go through some heavy things. But I know what it's like to find freedom from them. I know what it's like to be forgiven from doing some pretty ugly things too. And I'm grateful for that. And I want you to experience that yourselves. Whatever that may mean for your lives, right? And I know, I know your marriage will be blessed by that if you can apply that, right? I know your relationships will be blessed through that if you can apply that. Man, I've been given a gift. I've been forgiven. I've been set free, right? And it's not because I earned it. It's not even anywhere close because I deserved it, right? Heck no. Man, it's all grace. It's all been given to me. I just accepted it, and I want to live out from it, right? I want to share that grace with the other people in my life. And who would be better to share it with than my spouse, right? That's what I'm called to. Would you stand with me? Forgiveness is not a feeling. You will not feel like doing it, right? Not at first. Then one day you'll praise God because you're able to do it and give it freely, right? Feelings... Forgiveness is hard because you still feel the pain. You still likely have questions about why and how and how could, right? But the thing that you need to decide today, if that's a struggle in your life, is today I am not going to dwell in this place. I am not going to live in this place. I am going to move out from this place on this journey of grace, right? Because I've been forgiven. 
because I've experienced this. This parable is an invitation to live differently. This is the claritin of your life. This is the one thing that can really change your life to, to let it see differently. I love people's testimonies. I love when people tell of the difference that Jesus Christ has made in somebody's life. It changes how they live. And that's what this offer can do to you as well, right? Bitterness and resentment or grace. You choose. It's up to you. In your marriages, I hope you choose grace because we have an opportunity to model what's been given to us, what's been done for us with somebody that we care about, right? In the shadow of the cross, we can love our spouse through the lens of grace. This can be how we see them, right? If we'll allow it. My friends, that's how I want to be seen. I think that's how you want to be seen. Will you commit to that yourselves? Father, we thank you for today. Lord, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your goodness. Lord, we know we did not deserve it or earn it, Lord, but it's a gift from you. And Father, I pray that you would help us to live in response to that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the people around us. Lord, if we have spouses, that we would see them in that lens, in that light, Lord, and that would be the number one thing. Lord, we're not excusing things. We're not condoning things, Lord. We're just changing how we see that person. And Father, if that person is living in sin and is living outside of your bounds, Lord, we pray that you would do whatever it takes to bring them back. We pray that you would break them and we pray that you'd bring them to their knees, Lord. We pray that you'd soften their hearts, that you'd open their eyes and their ears, Lord, and that they'd come to a place of repentance, come to a place of surrender, Lord. But Father, I pray that that would not stop us, whether they do that or do not do that, from forgiving them. Whether they ask for it, whether they deserve it, Lord, Father, would you help us to unburden ourselves and lay this down at your feet and say, vengeance is yours, Lord, but I will not be bound to this. Lord, if there's a person who needs to start this journey today, would you help them to take one step? Would you help them to come to the cross? Would you help them to kneel down and say, Lord, I don't want to forgive this person. I have no desire to forgive this person. But because you did it for me, I will move in this direction. Lord, would you help me to do it? Would you guide me? Would you remind me of your grace so that I can share it? Father, I pray this especially for the marriages that are represented here today, Lord. We love you and we give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.